As we continue our time of worship, let us read from Ephesians chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn there with me. We're going to read the first 14 verses. The significance of this series that we're beginning, Made Worthy, is laid out throughout the book of Ephesians. And I'm excited for this series, and I'm excited to hear what Matt has to say this morning, because I know that deep down, he is just reflecting what the text is showing us. So let us begin with verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, to the faithful saints in Christ Jesus at Ephesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to stop there for a second. If you notice in Paul's writing, he always has this. He always has this ordering of grace from God and peace through Jesus Christ, and it's always in that order. Because the grace of God precedes the peace of God. I just want to point that out. I've just like, I read that when I was preparing, and I'm like, I gotta say it. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. For he chose us in him before the foundations of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself according to the good pleasure of his will. To the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished upon us, the beloved one. In him... We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, that he purposed in Christ as a plan for the right time, to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in Him. In Him we have also received an inheritance because we are, or were, predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of His will. There's a mouthful. So that, ooh, what is that there for? That we who had already put our hope in Christ, might bring praise to His glory. In Him, you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. The Holy Spirit is the down payment of your inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of His glory. Let us pray. Father God, as we come and we read and study the book of Ephesians, Lord, the, the depth and riches of the theology in this book are both encouraging and mind-blowing. Lord, I pray that you would give us ears to hear and, and a mind to perceive the depth of the riches that are found in this passage for us this morning. 
Lord, help us not to quibble and argue over nuances, but focus on the Him. That's you. Let us focus on God, on what you have done, that it is your plan, that nothing that we can do can ever supersede that, but that it is you alone that are worthy. Let us just embrace the fact that we are made worthy because you are worthy. Mm. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Bruce. Before I dismiss our kids, I just want to take a moment, since you're standing next to me anyway. um, It's actually in my notes here to remind myself to do this. I want to thank you and your wife, Shannon, for your ministry here at Paragon Church and being a part of what we get to do here. You have helped us. You have helped us take that next step as a church, and God is using you and using your ministry. Obviously, I have kids in youth. I have kids in the children's program, and they are blessed because of your leadership, and I want to say thank you for it. I appreciate you, Bruce. As as we have the opportunity to do that, I'm going to ask all of our kids to go ahead and stand. They're going to be heading out. Those those over there, see Miss Joanna, Miss Mary, they're both over there waiting for you guys. As you guys are heading out, Bruce, Pastor Bruce was just reading from the book of Ephesians. I would ask you, if you do not have it open right now, to open up to the book of Ephesians for me. And then I need you to do me a favor. I need you to bookmark it because we're going to be there for the next six months. We're going to be in the book of Ephesians for the next six months. And as you are going there, you might be thinking, my goodness, that's a long time. 24 sermons on the book of Ephesians. But I'm going to break this little news to you. In all of my study and all of my looking around... 24 sermons on the book of Ephesians is actually fairly short. There's a guy by the name of Martin Lloyd-Jones who does 38 sermons on the first chapter alone. So he did 235 sermons on the book of Ephesians. That's like four and a half years, okay? So I'm just going to say I'm giving you the short and condensed version compared to what he did. Now, as you were there, I would love for you again to mark that. If you have it on your phone, bookmark it. If you have it on paper, bookmark it. Because I'm also going to encourage you to do me a favor. And that is, for the next six months, maybe every week, maybe every other week, read the book of Ephesians. I know you're like, wait, hang on. Are you serious? Read the book of Ephesians every week? Yes. It's six chapters long. It'd be great to do it Monday through Saturday. Or you could even sit down and just do it one day a week and choose a day to do it because as it's only six chapters long, it's only 155 verses. Depending upon which Bible you have, if you have the study Bible, if you have all the extra stuff that goes with it, it's about seven pages. If you don't, it's only four pages. If you read it in normal pace, it probably will only take you roughly 20 minutes to read it. And the reason why I want you to do that, actually there's a number of reasons why I want you to do that. The first one really is this. The book of Ephesians is an amazing, life-changing book. It's an amazing, life-changing book. Uh, When I ask people what their favorite book of the Bible is, nine times out of ten, people tell me the book of Ephesians. Nine times out of ten. As a matter of fact, uh, the, the, the theologian John Calvin says it's his favorite book. It is a life changing book. There, there's a, a, a um, co- commentator that I read this week. This is what he said. His name was Klein Snodgrass. Pound for pound, Ephesians may well be the most influential document in history. That's a 
bold statement to make. But it is life-changing and it is amazing. For those of you who are sitting over here in my youth section, know this. There was a uh, Princeton University president. When he was 14 years old, his name escapes me right at the moment. When he was 14 14 years old, he happened to be wandering in the woods reading the book of Ephesians. Anybody had that experience in their life? Yeah, I didn't think so. But some reason he was wandering in the woods reading the book of Ephesians and it had such an impact on his life he gave his life to Christ in those woods from reading the book of Ephesians and then he went on to do great things don't tell me that that youth can't experience God and do some great things I'm looking forward to Disciple Now weekend and I hope that you are as well you know we see this life change that takes place and over the next six months we're also going to see some other things we're going to see this, this book, it lays out the Christian faith. It was written to describe the relationship between Christ and His church. It's full of theology, of the knowledge of God. And that theology, it helps deepen our understanding of God and His gospel, which leads to other things that are found in this letter, like doxology, which is the praise of God. Doxology, the praise of God, leads to praxis, or the practice of what we learn and what we have in our hearts, we then apply. It's also a book that answers practical questions for today. If you've been with us for the last nine weeks, we did why. Why we do what we do. And guess what? Most of the time we answer those questions in the book of Ephesians. We answer those in the book of Ephesians because there's so much to it and there's so much more to why we do what we do that's found in this book. It's the most contemporary letter probably in the New Testament. As a matter of fact, if, if other than maybe the topic of slavery, if you took that letter and wrote it to a 21st century church, it would be completely applicable even today. When it talks about all the different things, it's speaking right to us. And we talked about it last week, it magnifies the importance of the church. But here's the main reason why I want you to read the book of Ephesians on a regular basis. Because we're going to break it down, like I said, over 24 Sundays. And as we break it down, we're going to break down chunks and pieces and we're going to talk about things like being chosen and things like predestination and things that tend to be hang-ups sometimes when we really look at the church as a whole. Some people believe in it, some people don't. They try and speak to it in different ways. But the reality is, when we only look at the first two sentences of an entire letter, we're missing the purpose of the letter. We have to read the whole thing to understand its whole purpose. I mean, if you had a loved one who wrote you a love letter, and you only read the first two sentences of that love letter and said, yeah, I got the whole gist of it all, you're missing it. You read the whole thing and you understand the whole point of the letter. So that is the reason why I want you to read. I want you to see it all because the overall purpose of this letter, even though we're going to be talking about little things that may be hang-ups for some, the overall purpose of this letter coming from Paul to a church that he planted, a church of regular people who were saved by God's grace, regular Gentiles who knew nothing about Christ and came to Christ, it's focused on this who they are in Christ, and how they live in response to that new identity. That they are made worthy, and therefore now they walk worthy. That is where we will find ourselves for the next six months. And there's this 
promise in knowing two words that you heard as Pastor Bruce read. And he emphasized it as a matter of fact as he said it. Those two words are in Him or in Christ. That is where we are made worthy. That is how we walk worthy. In Him. The promise of knowing who we are in Christ is instrumental in everything that we do. Everything that we do. Think about this. Now, this is definitely not some new idea because obviously they were struggling with it in Ephesus and probably even struggling with it since the beginning of mankind. But think about today's culture. And there's a question that is out there that so many people struggle with, and that is this question Who am I? Who are you? Where do I find my worth? There's a struggle with identity. Just go to a college campus or a high school campus, and unfortunately now junior high and elementary school campuses. There's a struggle with identity. Am I this? Am I that? Or am I a mixture of all sorts of things? And nobody can tell me I'm wrong because it's all about my feelings. But let me tell you something. As we have these identity and worth questions, there's questions really that all of us struggle with, not just in a crazy cultural sort of way, but just when we look at our own lives, what is my purpose here? Who am I? What defines me? What gives me worth? And we have to understand this thing as we look at the book of Ephesians. To understand ourselves and our identity, we have to understand Christ. We have to know Christ, to know who we really are. We need to understand ourselves and our identity to understand that it affects everything that's around us. If you don't know your identity, if you don't know who you are, you're going to be pounded by all different options and all different opinions. And you're going to drift from one to another to another. And as you drift, you're just going to look for something to hold on to. Some foundation, whether it is a solid foundation in Christ or some sandy foundation in anything else. You're going to look for something to grasp onto. And sometimes we're, we're looking at it from a practical level. We say, who am I at my workplace? Who am I at my school? Who am I as a mother or a father to my child? Who am I as a friend to my friends? Sometimes it goes deeper than that, more philosophical. Who am I based on my nationality? Who am I based on my skin color? Who am I based on the, the son or daughter in the family that I, I fall into? Who, who am I and where do I fit into this world? But the truth is, we as individuals, we have a, a mixed bag of histories, life experiences, and genetics. So there's no clear-cut, dry answer on the surface that's going to describe your exact makeup and identity. But I will tell you, below the surface, there's one thing I do know. You were unique and fearfully made that way by God. You were made by Him. But sometimes, sometimes we have to get ourselves past those initial questions and we get a little bit deeper to the core question of who am I? Why do I exist? What's my worth and what's my purpose? Well, as we dive into Ephesians, I am hoping and praying those questions are clearly answered for you. I hope they're clearly answered for me on who I am. And then we're able to apply it to our lives. Here's what you need to know as a follower of Christ. I've already said it once, I'll say it again. Your identity is found in Christ and in His identity. 
To know yourself requires that you know Him. It requires that. There is no other way to know yourself. I know the world's going to say something different. There is no other way. One of the greatest joys in Christianity is the fact that we can finally understand who we are and our purpose in life because of Christ. And one of the greatest tragedies for the unbeliever is the same. They don't know. Outside of Christ, you cannot know yourself completely. There's always a hole that you're going to want to fill. And that that hole can only be filled by God. But when we strive and grasp for everything else in the world to fill that hole, we only know we're going to come up empty with more questions than even we started out with. That is why we studied the Bible. We study and look at the pages of the Bible. And we see a story that unfolds. It's His story, not ours. It's not primarily about us. It just benefits us. It's all about Him and God's amazing purposes and God's amazing plans through Jesus. We want to know and be clear about who Jesus is because that will help us better understand ourselves. That's why if you came to the membership class last week or have ever before, one of the first things we say is this. This church, at this church, we are all about Jesus because He is the foundation and He is the cornerstone on which we build our church and we build our lives. You need to know clearly who Jesus is. You need to know who you are. And that happens together. You need to see who you are in Christ. This week, I've been a bachelor since Thursday. My kids are all still alive. Praise God. I know. Most people didn't expect it. Chrissy actually called yesterday and said, hey, can you send me a picture for proof of life? She went to the If Gathering, which ladies, by the way, will be doing, uh, I believe it is April 15th. Uh, on a Saturday over at First Baptist Rio Rancho. We're going to be combining together with them and, and doing a, a If Local. And it's called If Rio Rancho there. But she went to the live one. She took Maylie and went with a couple other ladies. And she posted a, a, a quote from David Platt, who's one of the speakers that was, was there. And David Platt is probably one of, one of my favorite authors to, to read. He actually gave an invitation. People just came forward. It wasn't his original plan. He said he changed it last minute, just kind of the whole idea of revival and coming together. But this was a quote that it put, more than I need my circumstances to change, I need my view of God to grow. That's where we're at. We have to see God grow in our lives. We have to see and understand the knowledge. When I see Him for who He is, things change in my life. It helps me see myself for who I am in Him. You heard Pastor Bruce read it up front as he read through these first 14 verses. First one was, as you heard it maybe was in verse 3, you are blessed with every heavenly blessing. Verse 4, we are chosen in Him before the foundations of the world. I don't care what argument you want to have with that, just let that sink in for a second. That God chose you. How amazing is that? Verse 5, I'm predestined and adopted into God's family. Wow. I once was an orphan, but I've been adopted. Verse 7, redeemed by His blood, paid for by His blood. Verse 13, sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. These are just a few of the things that... Pastor Bruce shared, these are just a few of the things that are in the book of Ephesians that we'll see in chapters 1, 2, and 3 as it talks about us being made worthy. 
These are the things that as we see God, we see more clearly on our worth in Him. And I do pray that today and for the next 24 weeks that you begin to experience the book of Ephesians in a new way about who Jesus is and what He has done and consequently how we are to live in response. But before we dive in, I just want to pray a simple prayer over each and every one of us, including myself. Would you pray with me just for just a second? Father, what we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. What we are not, make us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Today we're only going to be doing two verses. Two verses. Verses 1 and verse 2. And I'm going to read those two verses for you. And as I do, I'm telling you, I'm not going to break it down into 38 sermons for the entire first chapter. I just There's something very important about the introduction. As a matter of fact, as you read the introduction, you might go, um, how could you possibly build a sermon off of the first two verses? Let me read them for you before you ask that question, all right? Here's what it says. And I know that, I know that uh, Pastor Bruce actually started to preach a sermon. And I'm like, hey, that's mine. You get down, okay? <laughs> Don't, don't you talk about grace and peace yet. All right. This is what it says. Chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will to the faithful saints in Christ Jesus at Ephesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you're like me, when you read those, you're like, okay, that's an introduction. Let's get on to the meat. But when you stop and look at it, And you stop and look at the words that Paul chose to use. There is so much depth in this to the point where a guy like John Piper, I'm not sure if you know John Piper or not, John Piper actually has an eight-section series breaking down each word of this two verses. And I went, wow, that's that's way in-depth. A sermon for each word. But what I want to do is I want to take a look and say, hey, let's, let's go. Let's dive in. Let's first look at that first word, Paul. Paul, you're like, wait, we're really going to look at Paul? Yes, we are. Because you'll look at the life of Paul and you'll see that this letter was written by Paul to Ephesus and surrounding churches. And Paul was a man who had his life changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul, before he was Paul, was named Saul, Saul of Tarsus. He was a Roman citizen and he was a devout, fundamental Jew. And as we look at that, he grew up in the church. You you can look at his life that he describes throughout the book of Acts, and you can see where he was headed. As a matter of fact, he grew up in Tarsus, but he moved to Jerusalem to study under a famous rabbi by the name of Gamaliel. And basically, he was being groomed for the point of being an important, high-up Pharisee. A really important... uh, Famous, if you want to go that way, in the same type of way, Pharisee, but God. Now, I put that in parentheses because it doesn't actually say that. We just get to see it. But God. God had other plans for this man. My guess is Saul had plans to use that knowledge he had, his reputation, his leadership skills to teach the law, to become a famous teacher, to have pride in himself, to say, look how good I am. But then Saul met Jesus on his way to persecute Jesus' church. And guess what happens when people meet Jesus? Their lives change. Their lives 
change. And everything changed in his life, just like it did in yours if you've met Jesus. At that moment, Saul died, and guess what? Paul was raised to a new life in Christ. And as we begin to look at that, we, we see that those gifts that he had, the knowledge and the reputation, the leadership skills, were now not being used for Saul's glory. They are being used for God's glory. And things changed. At one point, it's crazy to even look at. But you have to understand that, that Saul was actually breathing murderous threats against the followers of the way. And then somehow, some way, God changed him and he wrote 13 letters to those churches he was trying to breathe murderous threats against. He wrote so many different things to encourage them. That is quite a transformation. But the great news is, is it's a great reminder that God can radically change anyone. It doesn't matter who you were. It doesn't matter who you are or where you're trying to find your identity or worth. God will change you if you let him. So that is Paul. The next words are an apostle of Jesus Christ by God's will. An apostle of Jesus Christ by God's will. The word apostle means one who is sent. And when he says this, it serves two purposes. First purpose is this. It identifies him as the one who's on mission. A mission given to him from Jesus Christ. And secondly, it points out his authority to speak as a leader because he's on mission from Jesus Christ. An apostle's mission as God's representative, was to basically be a missionary. A messenger, excuse me, a messenger that delegates and directly uses his authority under Jesus Christ for the good and glory of Jesus Christ. And he was letting them know that it was by God's will. It means that his authority and his mission didn't come through some human agent. It wasn't him deciding that, hey, I'm an apostle. I'm going to call myself that. It wasn't through his choosing as a matter of fact if you go into the book of galatians chapter 1 verse 16 it actually says it's not by my choosing this wasn't what i planned on this is by god's will and by the way god's will is a very important theme throughout this letter god had plans from from birth having authority from god he went and shared the good news and he wrote this letter who did he write it to well the next thing says to the faithful saints in christ jesus at ephesus now, there's a couple of things I want to point out here, and I don't want to get too uh, academic in it all, but early manuscripts are split between at Ephesus or not. If at Ephesus was in there or not. To me, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Most people will go, oh, well, it was written to the churches around Ephesus as well. It wasn't specific to Ephesus. Great. It's still encouraged and told people about the things that they had going on in there. Whether it was written to Ephesus specifically or Asia Minor that surrounded Ephesus, it's still a letter of encouragement that, that went to it. Let's not get hung up on that part. So let's look at the first part instead where it says, to the faithful saints in Jesus Christ. To the faithful saints. Anybody know what the saints are outside of a football team in New Orleans? Some people get confused thinking saints are something that the church does for somebody after they've done certain miracles and things like that. There's a whole process within the Catholic Church and some of the other churches of such where they bring somebody to sainthood. That is not what Paul is talking about here. What Paul is talking about here is the holy ones, those who are set apart by God. You know who the holy ones are that are set apart by God? That's right. Those who are raising their hands and everybody else who believes in Jesus Christ. They are the holy ones set apart by God. So he's talking to that group of people. 
the people of the church who have given their lives to God, that are set apart by God, and the response is that their lives will be lived as set apart. This is a calling for all Christians who call themselves Christians, to live lives set apart. And it goes on from there and it says, faithful. Now, we might look at the word faithful and we say, well, what, what exactly does that mean? Well, it has two meanings and they both apply here. First is having faith in Jesus. And second, being faithful to the calling of being in Jesus. So first, our faith is where it's found, but how we respond to that in the same way, we are faithful. Then we see a term that will be found 11 more times, just in the first 14 verses and 27 times total throughout the book of Ephesians. That is, in Christ. Or in Him, or some variation of it. This is saying more than just, well, Christ is the object of my faith. It's more than just saying, I have my faith in Him. It's, I have my life in Him. He is my life. My blessings are in Him. My righteousness is in Him. My power is in Him. My position and my worth is in Him. My security is in Him. What He has, I have in Him. That's what we see here in the branch kind of mentality that Jesus talked about there in John 15. I am the vine, you are the branches. I can do, or you can do nothing apart from me. That's what we're talking about here. Being in Him, abiding in Him. And Paul is basically saying this. This is a letter written to the group of people who are faithful in their calling to be set apart, to live in Him, living out and living in the love of Christ. Not turning to the world for their guidance. Not turning to the world for their their worth. Not turning to the world for their inspiration or strength. They say, all of my satisfaction is found in Christ. Is the idea of being baptized into Christ. As it talks about in Romans chapter 6. Dying to ourselves and raised to the new life in Christ. In His church. And all this will be expanded throughout the letter. I'm sorry I'm just giving you a lot of information right now. So I apologize for that. But it really sets up everything else. This is an encouragement that Paul is doing. To walk worthy because you have been made worthy. You've been bought with a price. Why are Paul's words so important in these first two verses? I think to answer that question, we have to look at the city of Ephesus. And if you've been with us for a while now, you know this time last year we were going through the book of Revelation. And one of the first letters that was written to the book of Re, uh, to the churches in Revelation is the letter to Ephesus, the one where it talks about how you've lost your first love. We went into pretty good detail on that city, but I know some of you have slept since then. So I want to go into a little bit more detail about that and do just a quick look. And that is this: the city of Ephesus was a difficult place to do ministry. It was a difficult place to even just be a Christian. So for Paul to go there and call others out and lead them in a way, man, that's a hard thing to do. But when you're called, you're called. When you're called to, to minister a specific thing, you do it. But why was it difficult? Well, it really there's a couple things that I wrote down. First was location and size. Ephesus was a large port city at the junction of four major roads. And those four major roads brought in people from all over the place, which brought in different religions and different thinking. Now, with that, the, the size of the city and that kind of thing, there's two things that was a good and there's a bad part to it all. The good is those roads go out just as much as they come in and the gospel can go out from them. On the end, there's a lot of things that, that take place and a lot of spiritual warfare, which is the second thing that I wrote down. 
all these other religions. Ephesus was a huge place for spiritual warfare. As a matter of fact, when, when I look at New Mexico, I see very similar patterns. Lots of paganism. Lo- lots, of, lots of materialism. Lots of false god worship. For them, it was Roman and Greek goddess worship. The temple of Diana, or for the goddess Diana, was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And it was something that the people came from all around to, to worship at. And you worshipped her through prostitution. So you, you see all of these different things that are taking place, and this is a hard ground for, for the gospel to get into, to, to change lives. And on top of that, Ephesus was also the home of a Roman emperor cult where they actually worshipped Caesar Augustus and called him their savior. And if you didn't believe in that, you were actually cast out. The original cancel culture took place in this thinking. That if you didn't, as you walked into the temple, say, hail Caesar and, and praise and worship him, they wouldn't let you in. You couldn't do business. You couldn't do anything. You, you were cut out. And in the middle of all of this, this is where we find our faithful, trustworthy believers that this book is being written to. That he is using to encourage So that brings us really to verse 2. In verse 2 it says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The first we receive is grace. Such an important word in Christianity. Such an important word that is found throughout this letter. Paul here is praying for grace to come upon the church. But the question is, even though Bruce kind of answered it already, he stole my thunder a little bit, what is grace and why is it such an important word? Grace by definition, is undeserved favor shown by a person or superior power and resources to someone, and they give resources to someone in need. In this case, it goes beyond just a superior power. It goes to God, the kindness of God towards undeserving people and giving them salvation through Jesus Christ. Grace means all that I have done. I can't earn heaven because I still fall short. All that God has done is doing for us is grace. There's nothing I've earned, nothing that I deserve. It isn't because I'm good enough or I did all the right things or I avoided doing all the wrong things. It is by grace that we are saved through faith. And that's what we're going to talk about really on Easter, by the way, as we're only five weeks away from that. We have grace. And then we have the next word, which is peace. Peace, a word that we hear often in this world. We just want peace. A lack of war and hostility between people or groups, but we all know that peace in this world is temporary because people and groups will continue to fail. The peace here that he's talking about is peace that comes from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Peace between us and God has been brought through the cross, the death of Jesus Christ. We have a relationship with God because of it. Now there's peace between us. Paul wants his listeners and readers to experience peace that peace, the peace between us, as well as grace. And he wants it in their daily lives, both individually and as a body within the church. This is the introduction and encouragement that leads to the letter of Ephesians. I know you're like, man, that is a lot of boring stuff. 
But at the same time, it's such a rich thing for us to truly understand where it comes from. This is a letter that shows that God is forming a new humanity through Christ by His Spirit. It is a letter that describes how Jesus died for sinners, was raised, and is exalted above everything else, and now everything is under His feet, and His He's now head over the church, which is His body, like we talked about last week. Through our union with Him, we are raised with Christ. And we have salvation by that grace. This letter is full of, you once were, but now you are. Those are just great phrases. You once were dead in sin, but now you are alive in Him. You once were separated from Christ, but now you are brought near in Him. You once were foreigners, but now you are a part of a family. You once were darkened in your understanding, but now you are in the light of Christ. You once were immersed in your old self, but that old self died, and you are now alive in Him. Paul is letting us know that there is transformational power in the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's letting us know there is transformational power in the grace that is found in Jesus Christ. Paul makes us sure that we know that as a follower of Christ, that in Christianity it's not about being religious. It's not about rules. Because you know what? He's been there. And he's literally done that. And it didn't work out. He saw Christ for who He is. It's not about adopting some philosophy. It's not about finding financial prosperity. It is not about becoming a nice person. It's about becoming a new person. And that is important for us. A revived person from death to life, from darkness to light. This is where we find ourselves brought into community, into a new household, into a new family. All for the kingdom of God. All for His glory. That's what Ephesians is laying out for us. And then it says, hey, in response, we live out in Christ. We can't just read the second part of the book and go, oh, you know what? I need to try harder. I need to to do chapters 4, 5, and 6 where it says these are the things I have to do. The application part is pretty difficult if we don't understand why we're doing it in the first place. One of my favorite verses in all of Scripture is found in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 17, which says, Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. Verse 17 wraps up by saying, So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. When I look at that verse, I say, Yeah, I, I want to make wise decisions. I, I want to walk wisely. But Why? Well, it all bases itself on the first three chapters because of who God is and what He's done for me. That is why I do what I do. Ephesians teaches a whole new way to live and more importantly, the why. It taught the followers in the city of Ephesus why they should live differently, even put their lives in danger and be outcasts in a surrounding culture because you become new and you put on the new life and that's what it's also teaching us as well. As I close up today, I'm very much about application. I I want to apply the teachings that are here to our life because I know sometimes the informational stuff, you're like, well, that was great. Glad I got a lot of information out of today. I could have listened online to that. That's not a big deal. How do I bring it together? Well, I I want it to be not just encouraging, not just challenging, but applicable. And I think the application comes as he wraps up the letter because he wraps it up the same way he starts it. The last two verses 
are similar to the first two verses. If you have your Bible, flip over to chapter 6, verses 23 and 24. It says these words, Peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all of you who have undying love for our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a bookend. You start off with grace and peace, you end up with grace and peace. And as we see that, that that, that ties it all together, but there's a, a phrase in there I desperately want to make sure we understand. And that is the phrase that says, to all who have an undying love for our Lord Jesus Christ. An undying love. I don't know if you guys have ever seen the movie Toy Story. But there's a scene where the aliens get saved out of the claw machine. And, and, and what, what did they say to, to Buzz Lightyear and to uh, the Potato Man, Mr. Potato Head, uh, over and over again? You have saved our lives. We are eternally grateful. That should be our response to Jesus. You have saved our lives. We are eternally grateful. We have an undying love. And I saw this for application. Because I talked to Josh Todd this week. Josh is back in the back. Good to see you, Josh. How are you? He went through surgery this week. Now, Josh, in case you weren't here a couple weeks ago, he was our last of our baptisms. If you were at the men's breakfast the day before, he shared his testimony, basically sharing these words. And I'm going to make it very short. If you want to hear the whole story, I'm sure Josh would be more than happy to share his story with you. But it was this. He was living apart from God, chasing after all the things that he thought was going to fill that God hole for him. It did not. And he came to a point where God got his attention through an accident on a tugboat. And we won't go into all the details, but it should have killed him, right, Josh? This week you had a surgery that was one of many since that accident to help repair all the things because God has worked in him. It's that whole but God moment. And as he was sharing it, and I was checking on him via text to see how his surgery had gone, um, I won't get into all the details, but he gave me a prayer request. Remember the prayer request, Josh? I won't get into all the details. It's a bit personal. But he shared that, and then he later said, hey, the prayer request, it, it, it happened. It's great. God is good. I love him so much. That was the text I got. And I started to think, and I could picture you saying it, Josh. I love him so much. And as I began to think about it, I got to think, is that my response? I love him so much. I mean, that would be a great and exciting word to hear from anybody who is in love with Jesus. I just love him so much, I can't do anything else. Everything is about him. Is that my response? And it got me to think about my relationship with him because the church at Ephesus, they had an amazing church planter in Paul. And not only that, they had amazing leaders outside of Paul that were pouring into them, like Apollos and Timothy and John and Priscilla and Aquila. They each had their opportunity to pour into them and minister to them. And the church of Ephesus, they had a, quite a history I mean, they had quite a heritage. But then you go back to that book of Revelation, which happened about 40 years later, and Jesus is writing them a letter. And Jesus says to them, He says, Hey, you know what? I commend you on your works. You're doing good things. 
You're spotting heresy and you're calling it out. But I have one thing against you, as it says in verse 4. You've abandoned the love you had at first. They lost their first love. They lost the reason why they did what they did. They were just doing to do. Their service to Jesus had become mechanical. For the last nine weeks, we've been talking about why we do what we do. All for the glory of God. In our love for Him and all that He has done, He alone is worthy. Our lives are our sacrifice to Him. Why do we do what we do? And I began to really let that sink in. As we're reading these first words, that encouragement to the church, but the response 40 years later is a little bit different. Why do we do what we do? Is it out of our love for Him or is it out of obligation? The challenge I would even wrap up today is don't lose your first love. As we look at the book of Ephesians, make sure that we keep that first love. These first three chapters are all about what God has done in our response to Him in love. If you have lost your first love, you know what Jesus says in verse 5 of Romans, or Revelation chapter 2? Repent. Repent. It's what He says to do, to turn from yourself back to Him. And as we dive deeper into Ephesians, I hope a new love and joy and excitement for what God has done and is doing comes and sparks that love for you again if you've lost that first love and you know I do pray that this study takes your theology deeper because shallow theology produces shallow worship and we can't truly worship a God that we don't know so as we continue to take these next steps in this book I want you to understand who God is and our great value and worth in Him because you know who He is and what He has done That's my challenge for you guys today. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this opportunity to be able to dive into the book that you preserved over thousands of years. A letter that we could read and apply. And even though today is just an introduction, there's so many choice words in there like faithful saints. God, may we be faithful saints. Faithful to being the set apart, called out ones to do what you've called us to do. But God, not just do it out of obligation, not just do it because we've been Christians for so long, but do it because of our love for you. God, may you rekindle that passion in our lives. May you rekindle all of this in our hearts so that we can be set apart for you. God, as we go further into this, make it evident as we try and figure out who we are that we are in you. That we are made worthy because of you. And because you've made us worthy, we will walk worthy. God, we want you to have all the glory in our lives today. We pray in your name. Amen.